Welcome to Mirror and Flashlight, a podcast from the Chicago Women's Health Center. In this podcast, we explore the history, stories, and practices of the Chicago Women's Health Center, for short, CWHC, a feminist collective that has been evolving and transforming for decades. I'm Ariel Mejia, your host and producer, and I'm excited to just dive right into this episode that breaks down CWHC's Integrative Health Program, also called IHP. Unsure what that means, why it's important and deeply embedded in CWHC's model of health and feminist practice? Meet Leslie. My name's Leslie. I am a clinical services director here at Chicago Women's Health Center. And I've been in this role since September 2012, but I was at the health center since 2006, starting off in the the clinical services area. Leslie says health and healing are complex and multifaceted. Having multiple perspectives, approaches, and treatment options is paramount to CWHC's approach. I, I kind of see our work as opening up the thinking of the possibilities of what you could do to address your health concerns in a way that goes beyond Western medicine. And then the next step being actually making it accessible on site. Having a client-centered model means we embrace it all, right? We, we're we not trying to, to push one type of healthcare solution. We're trying to increase the range of possibilities and facilitate access to them. So clients are welcome to come in for kind of a Western medicine modality, which is what we think of when we have come in for primary care or reproductive and sexual health services. But for us, the integrative health program brings different modalities, which have completely different frameworks, different ways of thinking about the body and health and healing and different resources for those for health and healing and making that not only not only kind of raising it as a possibility for clients so that they have more of a, a three-dimensional understanding of what they could do to, to manage their healthcare concerns, but then t- taking it a step further and offering it here on site, um, because often accessibility is a concern with a lot of these complementary health modalities like Chinese medicine or herbal medicine, body work, massage, you know, all these things sometimes can be cost prohibitive. Just like all other services at CWHC, the IHP services are offered on a sliding scale to make them as accessible as possible. I feel like the first thing we needed to establish was what are we talking about when we say Western medicine? Western medicine is just the language we often use to describe the healthcare that we're most familiar with in this country, for example, where you would see a physician or a nurse practitioner, physician's assistant, um, using frameworks that look at symptoms and signs and using that and perhaps lab tests arrive at a diagnosis and that's described as pathology. So you get diagnosed with a pathology and then you have treatment options based on that. How does that compare to other frameworks? You know, for example, Chinese medicine is its own whole way of thinking about the body and it looks at patterns and 
It is looking for some of the root causes of those patterns. So you wouldn't go to a, a Chinese medicine practitioner to be treated for PCOS, for example, or painful periods or headaches. That practitioner would instead want to take a very sort of thorough kind of assessment and history and look for these underlying patterns. And so it's its own whole system, which I think is a really important component, right? They're, it's like apples and oranges. So um, Chinese medicine is a, prime, is a form of primary care. It is a medicine that is used to treat headaches, all the kinds of things that you might seek care for, but it is doing it from this very different perspective. CWHC's IHP program isn't saying one health paradigm is better than any other. It's not a wrong paradigm. It is just that it is one of many paradigms. It is very successful in a lot of cases. I mean, I think many of us would not argue that we've had some real you know, benefits <laughs> by being able to access conventional medical care. And certainly for some things like, please send me to the ER, you know, and just save my life. <laughs> you know? um, so there's really an important role for it. I think what we're trying to do, you know, when we think about feminist approach to providing healthcare is not, is just say that it's not the only framework. It lives side by side with other frameworks that have things of value, perspectives that are different and that offer different sets of tools. And depending on the situation, those might be better tools for that person at that time. I asked Leslie, why aren't these alternative modalities inherently an option when we go to the doctor? I mean, a lot of it has to do with healthcare is offered within a healthcare system that is dictated by things like insurance and capitalist market <laughs> uh, dynamics, right? So, you know, just to like break that down into like concrete examples, like insurance often does not cover complementary health care. You, know, it, it, you know, if you're lucky, if you have insurance, and if you're lucky that you have good insurance, it may cover some types of complementary health options to a limited degree, but they're not offered side by side as equal options by any means. And most people will not have insurance that covers that. So it's going to be an out-of-pocket expense. There was a time in history, through the 19th century and into the beginning of the 20th, where different modalities were working in tandem. What we think of as conventional Western medicine at that time was called allopaths. The, the allopaths were the practitioners of conventional Western medicine. They were side by side with other medical perspectives. The eclectics were one, the physiomedicalists were another group. And they all had sort of different perspectives and treatment approaches. Eclecticism and physiomedicalism were two major schools or streams of thought in early American herbal medicine. Johns Hopkins University to do this big study, it's called the Flexner Report. What is the Flexner Report? Okay, well, in a nutshell, it was a biased survey conducted by a dude named Abraham Flexner, who was not a doctor or a practitioner, but went around to all the medical institutions and reported back basically which ones he thought were up to par and which ones, in his opinion, were not. 
the Carnegie Foundation funded the Flexner Report. Then, Rockefeller and others used that report to change medical education. The Flexner Report had a particularly damaging impact on medical colleges serving Black folks and women, and also undermined anything but conventional medicine, not to mention devastating for midwifery. And as a result of this report, there began a process that eventually led to a complete shutdown of everything except for the allopaths. And this was true for the midwives as well. So this was like a process that basically started to exclude every other form of healing arts from a professional recognition. There's a really interesting history there with what used to be, first of all, just community-based healing practices, which then became professionalized medical practices. But then, but, the, but there was a lot of them. There was, it was a, a range of things that were um, being practiced. And that was all sort of dwindled down to just the conventional Western medicine. Now, these other things have continued to exist on the side, but they have lost the access to the regulatory licensing protection. This report and the events that ensued have everything to do with the culture of medical professionalism as we know it today. And the idea that any healing outside of a Western model is not to be trusted because it doesn't have licensure behind it. Since the perhaps 60s and 70s, there's been a resurgence of interest in complementary health. It never went away completely, but it was much harder to find a community herbalist like, you know, in the 1950s than it is today because there's been a resurgence and now there's greater move towards having schools and education. Bastyr University in Seattle and San Diego, Boucher Institute of Naturopathic Medicine in Vancouver, Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in Toronto, and the National University of Natural Medicine in Portland, Oregon, all are options for seeking a naturopathic education in North America. There's a whole lot of structural barriers to these practices being made more accessible. And this, the structure of most healthcare, the way that most healthcare is offered, just isn't flexible enough to to be able to integrate these things. Now, there is a growing movement, um, I'd say, you know, that's described itself as integrative medicine. And so you're starting to see it more and more. I think it will, we will continue to see it more and more. And that's where you would have like maybe a physician working side by side with acupuncturists, body workers, herbalists um, in a team fashion, um, but it's not the norm yet. Complementary medicine can be used alongside conventional medicine in a number of ways. You could have just a straightforward yeast infection, and you may prefer to not treat it with a pharmaceutical medication. Pharmaceutical medication might work lovely. It might clear it right up, but that might not be your preference in terms of just your own personal choices about how you want to approach your healthcare. In which case, Chinese medicine, herbal medicine, naturopathic medicine, all of these complementary modalities have their own approaches to how you would treat the yeast infection, and those can also be very effective. So, I mean, just, you know, and some of the basic ones that we kind of acknowledge and talk about here are just using garlic cloves as suppositories or using tea tree oil or using um, yogurt with live cultures or acidophilus probiotics to help um, promote a healthy vaginal microbiome as a way of 
supporting your body's ability to manage that yeast infection. The second is in the case of recurrent situations. If someone were to have recurrent yeast infections, like maybe they respond just fine to the medication, but then it comes back a month later and they're having repeat or difficult to treat yeast infections, then you need to explore a little bit further about what might be going on, what might be causing that. Are there triggers that they just keep getting exposed to? Is their immune system, for whatever reason, not up to kind of managing that infection? Is their microbiome just so affected that the yeast are just having an opportunity to grow and thrive? And that's where I think Western medicine has some things to offer, but the complementary health modalities really shine in these kinds of situations because they do, just sort of as a starting point, tend to think about the whole person rather than dive right into the yeast infection. And so they might be wanting to know generally speaking about things about a person's immune system or the health behaviors that help support their overall health and well-being, their stress levels and how they manage that and how that affects their body, how is their sleep, because all of these things can create the conditions that for one person will help their body fight off a yeast infection and not have problems with it, and for another person might predispose them to having recurrent infections. There are also times when someone has a health concern and they've gone through sort of the typical conventional medical treatments and they have failed to fully resolve the problem. And at that point, that's, you know, another time when it might be really helpful and it might provide some hope to know that there's modalities out there that still have things to offer. And so being able to refer people or have people access to services for that reason is, is another important piece. And then thirdly, there are just times when a health issue from a Western medicine perspective just does not have a known cause. And that's not uncommon, right? So pelvic pain, I think, is a good example of that. Sometimes there's a really straightforward, clearly identifiable cause of what's behind someone's pelvic pain. But Often you've ruled those things out and you can't find a specific cause, but the pain is still there. Figuring out the cause of pain is actually a really complex process, Leslie explains. That often isn't something you can address from one angle. Pelvic pain can be a really prime example of that. You know, there's what's going on in the tissues, what's going on in the nervous system, what's going on in the brain and the perception of the stimuli that the body is getting and how it perceives and interprets that stimulus. There's emotional components to when we're in pain. So it might seem like body work and massage therapy feel a little bit left field, but actually it's really a very relevant connection between, you know, a resource that helps some people's bodies be more resilient to stressful situations which ultimately affects their health in all kinds of ways, including perhaps a yeast infection. So we do see these things as very tied. For example, with pelvic floor physical therapy, where a lot of people might have a lot of discomfort or hesitation about accessing these kinds of services. They might feel really vulnerable um, or even just have a hard time seeking care for the kinds of things you would use it for. So plus, it could be really expensive if you don't have insurance. So for us, it was so exciting to have physical therapists trained in pelvic floor work who fit our model perfectly in terms of the perspectives we like to try and bring to the work. Pelvic pain, like 
maybe you can find that clear tissue problem, but if you can't, then there's still a lot of other components to it and other modalities that kind of start from the perspective of that whole person. Because CWHC's IHP program works to offer health modalities that approach the whole body, nutrition is inherently part of that. They recently brought on a nutrition specialist who, in the traditional sense, can talk to clients about food and diet. But this particular nutrition educator specializes in a lot more than that. She brings um, a paradigm which is called health at every size. And that, I think, is a philosophical framework to talking about nutrition that does not fall into that trap that is so prevalent in medicine where health problems are reduced to weight or incorrectly attributed to weight. She also brings a method called intuitive eating. Which is this really fascinating, powerful kind of way to think about your relationship with food and all the ways that we internalize messaging around food and ways that we then kind of internally police our eating patterns. So these approaches are not about weight. (laughs) They are about what is going to be healthy for you and what does that look like? How do you do it? And, you know, all within sort of a context, I think, of understanding the broader social situation that we live in that has lots of damaging messaging around nutrition and health. You know, having practitioners with these different perspectives working together in communication with the client, that whole team working together, can be a really powerful approach. Traditional Chinese medicine, which includes acupuncture and herbs, over the course of two millennia, it has become a very systematized way of looking for and addressing patterns that address any and all particular health issues. Acupuncture can be incredibly helpful at helping to boost someone's fertility. So if they're trying to get pregnant and perhaps they're going through a process of trying to, um, you know, use alternative insemination or, or artificial insemination, then working with an acupuncturist to help get your body so that it is fertile, maximally fertile, um, can really help speed up that process. With providing all these services in-house, they can be in communication with each other, if the client desires. This is a powerful offering to clients that really just optimizes health outcomes to their fullest potential. When we have situations where we have a client who's maybe seeing a provider in our kind of clinical services program, and they're perhaps seeing the acupuncturist, if they would like those parties to be in communication and discussing what's going on, Um, then we can do that. And that's, to me, you know, like, that's really kind of, I think, you know, the most (laughs) fun and what I would aspire to. You know, I think when each side can share information and perspectives so that the client has even a fuller sense how it can transform a healthcare encounter and undo or counteract the harm that is often part of a healthcare system and healthcare experiences, Like, even if we weren't interested in all of that, it would still be the right thing to do is to offer these kinds of services because it is about people getting better (laughs) and having as many resources and tools and ways to do that 
can only help. It seems inherently feminist to me to offer integrative health services. I ask Leslie if she agrees. I think it is, or at least it's the type of feminism that makes sense to me. (laughs) It's about having options and respecting people's choices and facilitating access to those choices. And I think that's a sort of part of what a feminist perspective of healthcare brings. I think this having the integrative health program um, was a great step in broadening our ability to kind of provide healthcare from a feminist perspective. We think about people as whole human beings and not just the issue that they came in the door with. You know, maybe they came in with a yeast infection. Maybe they're getting recurrent yeast infections. And there's maybe some straightforward ways to handle that immediate yeast infection. But the bigger question is, how are they doing overall? (laughs) And how can they be better supported and being healthy and well? Considering the whole person in terms of prognosis and diagnosis can only offer solutions. There are so many studies now that show how stress, for example, affects many aspects of physical health. That mental well-being is directly linked to our physical well-being. We want to acknowledge that these things are all connected. And so we're checking in with people to see, like, do you have any concerns about this? How, how do you have any questions about resources or strategies for managing stress? How are you feeling about that? Um, because if that is something where someone is struggling it will have a direct impact on their total well-being. Other modalities that kind of start from the perspective of that whole person might offer a different way, right? A different way to to think about it and to find things that the person can do, treatments that ultimately improve the situation and give people hope. Thank you to Leslie Fiedler who is the beating heart of the clinical services program and the integrative health program for sharing your wisdom and perspective with us for this episode. This episode was produced by me, Ariel Mejia, and edited by Terry Kepsalis, Sarah Becca Gaglio, and AJ Barks. Also, additional editorial support from Leslie Fiedler. As the final episode of our inaugural season, is going to be released next, we'd like to invite you, beloved listeners, to a live virtual event we're holding to reflect on this podcast and to connect with you. More information and a link to tickets can be found in the show notes and on our website. We hope you'll join us and other members of CWHC's community on Wednesday, March 24th at 7 p.m. Central. Learn more about Chicago Women's Health Center and this podcast at chicagowomenshealthcenter.org. Mirror and a Flashlight is made possible by CWHC's Community of Support. Our special thanks to Corbett versus Dempsey, Women Unite, Early to Bed, Women and Children First Bookstore, Laura McAlpine Consulting for Growth, and Mats Gustafsson and Catalytic Sound. <laughs>